podcast is sponsored by Damo Ingredients, who provide best-in-class functional ingredients such as starches, proteins, fibres and gums, to name but a few, into food manufacturers across the UK and Ireland. I've worked with Dama on various projects for my own brand and with my clients. And what I love about working with them is their in-depth technical knowledge and their ability to apply that to the specific products that you're actually working on. So they become an extension to your own development team, supporting them with their knowledge from concept through to launch. To find out more, visit www.dama.com. Welcome to the O for Food's Sake podcast, where we unwrap the joys and struggles of working in the food industry so you can thrive in what you do best while sustaining a rewarding and fulfilling career or business. We are your hosts, Lucy Wager, food industry consultant, and Amy Wilkinson, food industry coach. We've worked in the food industry for the last 20 years, and we're here to share with you the benefit of our hindsight. Our podcast is for you to find new ways to cope with the daily struggles, but mostly to inspire you to work on what's not working to ultimately improve your career or business long term. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of O for Food's Sake. Today, Amy and I are joined by Louis Bedwell. Louis is Managing Director of Mission Ventures. Welcome, Louis. Hi, Louis. Good morning, afternoon, wherever you're listening. (laughs) (laughs) So we're really, really pleased to have you here, Louis. Um, You and I met just over a year ago. Um, I remember it was exactly just over a year ago because it was the day after my house was nearly broken into by four masked men. Uh, So (laughs) I was very tired, but I still made the call. And I'm so pleased I did because we've worked together quite a lot since then. and. I think our listeners are going to be really interested to hear about what you do. And I try and talk about what you do quite a lot when I, when I speak to other people and I do a terrible job. So this is going to be good because I can now refer people to the podcast. (laughs) And I'm really pleased to meet you, Louis, because we haven't actually officially met yet, but I feel like I know you from LinkedIn. I feel like I know lots lots of people from LinkedIn, but I was also talking to uh, Claire Hughes at Sainsbury's the other day and she was talking about the stuff that you've been doing so it, it's um, it's really great to have you here and to we're, we're really excited for the listeners to hear about what you and Mission Ventures do. Good thank you for having me it's very nice to hear that people have been saying nice nice things about us Lucy I, I always tell everybody about our first call um, never have I spent you know, 25 minutes of a first call with somebody talking about a burglary. You know, it was one of those <laughs> memorable. I think, I think now I know you. Now I know you. I know you weren't making it up, but at the time I did wonder. You know, I was like, oh, not had this one before. <laughs> Is she always <laughs> like this? Like, there's always something. Whenever I get on a call with Lucy, it's always like, you will never guess what's just happened. Yeah. It's like, right, yeah, trouble just follows me around. What can I say? <laughs> Let's talk about Louis. So Louis, yeah, tell us about how you got into the food industry because you haven't always been in food, have you? Definitely not. Um, My first job was as a teaching assistant. Um, I dropped out of university when I was 18 after a term. Um, I think academically I was good enough to be there but didn't really want to be there kind of I've always had a mind that wanders in various different directions 
Um, thought at one point I wanted to be a teacher, but worked in a school for about 18 months and decided it was a really terrible idea. Um, <laughs> just wasn't, wasn't for me. Um, and, but, but on the side, always had kind of lots of different things going on. I did a lot of, a lot of sport, some, some fundraising at one point started like a cereal bar business. Um, and throughout all of this time, I was studying for a degree with the Open University. So I dropped out of real university, started studying with the Open University, um, moved to London and got a job um, working in kind of a, a, a workspace, so a co-working space. It was an incubator. We supported about 250 different businesses, everything from fashion through to architecture, robotics, um, graphic design, kind of a news agency. And it was kind of the perfect place to figure out what I wanted to do. I was like early 20s living in London and everybody around me was just building businesses, raising investment, going through all of the challenges that that you face when you're an entrepreneur. Um, the the guy who was the CEO of that business was was Paddy, Paddy Willis, who also um, founded Grocery Accelerator. Yeah. So I got exposed to kind of what he was doing in the food industry. I'd always been really interested in food. Kind of if you ask my my mum when I was a lot smaller, um, you know, what do you think he would have done when he was older? It probably would have been a chef. You know, that that was always yeah. when I was a kid, I always talked about being a chef. So I'd always been interested in food. Um, I went off to do a couple of different things, running a really odd property agency in Clapham. And we were developing big houses. I did that for seven or eight months. So it was a weird time of my life. Um, and then... <laughs> Paddy came back to me and said, we need somebody to join what was then called Grocery Accelerator. Yeah. Do you fancy it? And that was about five, five and a bit years ago. So kind of everything I know about the food industry has been learned by doing. Um, but kind of in terms of had this odd exposure of working with maybe 50, 60 different businesses at a time. So everything from kind of alcoholic drinks through to snacks kind of with retailers, big businesses, but can then kind of the smallest businesses from from idea stage. So it's been kind of a, a crash course in how you can do things, but also how you shouldn't do things. Yeah. And did did Grocery Accelerator become Mission Ventures? Yes. Yeah. Ah, I don't know whether I actually have actually ever put those two together. Yes. So about two and a half years ago, we rebranded from from Grocery Accelerator, um, changed the name to Mission Ventures, and with that became, I guess, a bit of a switch from us focusing on working with businesses, challenger brands, and solving their problems to kind of facing the other way and saying, how do we fix problems within the industry? So at the moment, kind of our, our three biggest projects and, and clients are Warburton's, uh, the Bakers, Sainsbury's. Um, but then kind of one of the world's oldest health foundations. And it's kind of what are their strategic challenges and how do we use this power of entrepreneurship to fix them? So now the, the, the brands we work with are kind of the facilitator of fixing those problems rather than, than our main focus. Yeah, that's really interesting, actually, because it's that whole there's so many challenger brands out there, aren't there? And it's almost by flipping it on its head, you're actually able to make more impact and help them more than trying to help lots of little people like get get the big guys to to help you to help them yes and i think some of our biggest learnings from from being grocery accelerator were that brands need they need scale they always need funding and they, they need a route to market 
and when we were working in um kind of i guess thinking in a smaller way we couldn't always provide all of those things but now all of our programs are kind of really tangible in the way that it's it's always free to the brands they're always kind of at least a year if not two they come with funding of some description whether that's a grant whether it's access to loans or, or whether it's equity funding um and, and where possible there's kind of a route to market whether that's a, a direct relationship with a retailer or some kind of open door partnership and that that's really important isn't it and that is that must be a really a real attraction to the for the brands because it's become increasingly difficult hasn't it to get listings and it's it's so difficult because there are so many challenger brands now and but what your three programs do and maybe we should just talk about a, a little bit more about the individual programs because that's quite specific and quite targeted aren't they yes so i guess our, our overarching belief at mission ventures is that our food industry in some ways is broken you know take three examples 30 percent of of children in london are at risk of ill health from the food they eat only 2p in the pound of of kind of venture capital investment goes to female founders the number for black led businesses is even lower than that and uk food waste could feed 30 million people annually so that's just in the uk so you've got these three big problems which are you know there's no one size fits all solution to all of them, but we yeah. really feel that that challenge brands and entrepreneurs can can play a big role in in fixing some of them. They're agile, they figure out how things can be done. Okay, they're not going to solve the problem on their own, but they can start to influence the industry to to make a change. So, you know, focusing on on two of the big programs we've got, one is called Thrive with Sainsbury's. So Sainsbury's came to us about 18 months ago. They said that only 2% of their supplier base was owned or, or managed by brands, owned or managed by a black entrepreneur. Um, and they had an ambition to get that to match the UK demographic. They wanted the, the food on their shelves to be representative of, of our country as a whole. And But the industry is not set up in a way to support the growth of those entrepreneurs. Funding's really hard to access uh knowledge if you've not done it before is is difficult and really you know and it's rich for me to say this but the, the industry is a lot of white middle-aged stale and pale men um <laughs> and people didn't feel that the industry really reflected what they looked like um so there was something and it was really bold of sainsbury's they committed a million pounds yeah. to this program to kind of step forward and say we can help you we're going to give you funding uh, and we don't want anything back and here's a program that's going to really kind of accelerate the growth of your business. And if you get to that point at the end, we're going to put you on shelf. But if not, you know, the door's always open. You've taken funding and, and you're in a much better position. So it was a really brave, bold program. But we've kind of been able to prove that if you take that, take that kind of purpose and profit and put them together, it's a really, it goes from just being like the right thing to do. Uh, because it sounds great and, and it's what you should be doing from a, a social perspective, but actually the right thing to do from a commercial uh, mm. view as well. So that's amazing. And, and you know, we really care about that problem and looking for for ways to solve it in a really kind of meaningful way. You know, when we were setting up the program, lots of people we spoke to, black entrepreneurs, they told us that they're over-mentored and underfunded. 
which mm. was why it was so important to put as much of that million pounds as possible into funding those businesses. And, um, you know, whether that was the right design or access to manufacturers, new product development, all of these things, which are often overlooked or possibly neglected and started a business it was like how do we yeah. get as much money as possible towards those and it's those things that you don't know you need until you start doing it and they often require money to be able to do it so it doesn't matter how many mentors you've got telling you that you need to do that if there isn't the funding to be able to do it and then you're in this like catch 22 because you can't get any further until yeah. you've got that help which you need so desperately yeah I think it's 80% of the founders we see each year uh, don't come from the food industry at all. So not, yeah. they've not started a food business, but they've not had any kind of traditional you know, food training or, or work yeah. experience. So it's always doing it for the first time. So yeah, it is an incredible thing that Sainsbury's have done. And is it the first time that a retailer has done something so direct, like direct help to challenger brands that are that young in their journey because i think it is but i don't categorically know uh, yes yes and that's kind of what we believe is is that they they just wanted to be really progressive and that's one of the reasons they kind of came to us as a partner was yeah. the understanding that and, and i think from, from their part that was brilliant you know, it was kind of, we've got lots of the attributes to be able to make this really successful, but we don't yes. have it all. So kind of yeah. come and help us to, to build these brands and then we can take them on and, and really push them into market. Yeah, it's really brilliant. And I, yeah. I, I, I love Sainsbury's. I always, I always tell everybody how much I love Sainsbury's. I loved working at Sainsbury's. And it's just, this is such a Sainsbury's thing to do, isn't it? And it's so clever yeah. because, because there are so many challenger brands now it's really difficult. The comp it's very difficult to get listings. It's really difficult to know what the retailer wants. But on the other hand, they're not going to go away. And actually, the consumer wants these new and interesting things. So the retailers have got to find a way of marrying the two together. And this is such a great way of doing it because it limits the retailer's risk. I know they're spending money to do it, but it's going to give them access to these potentially fantastic products before anybody else as well it's just it's really clever and it's like potentially it's a win-win yeah and I love the fact that they are rather than just paying lip service to wanting to have a more diverse supply base and stuff like that they're actually putting their money where their mouth is but also with that like exactly what you said Louis I've, I've got a commercial backdrop background it's got to be commercially viable as well it's not like you just you know positive discrimination or or whatever it's you know which has has its place but actually these products are blooming brilliant products and they're going to sell and that matters for for longevity for to to make it you know something that they're going to do for a long time yeah can i yeah can agree more with all of yeah. that and and has it has it been successful? I know it's it, you're only sort of still early stages, aren't you? So, but it, do you think it's something that will run again? Are, are there already talks of it happening in you know, the next cohort? And you know what what's the plan for for that? Yeah, I mean, the the main kind of priority at the moment is making the brands we've got as successful as possible. Um, mm -hmm. So we had nine brands in the program. Three of of definitely got a listing and we'll go live in the next couple of months and there's you know probably the same again if not a few more that we're, we're still doing a bit of work on to hopefully get this year land on shelves um so it'd be a good kind of 
70, 80% of the cohort that will get like a meaningful listing with, with Sainsbury's. Mm. But as you say, kind of, we've got to help them to be as successful as possible. Yes. You know, they've all got great, great brands, great tasting products. Um, but, but, you know, that's only half of the journey. They've got to get onto, get onto shelf and, and sell some stuff now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And how long, how long are you with them for? Like, what's the, what's the length of time of the partnership that you have with these brands? Yeah. So, I mean, it, less about time, more about kind of what they need to achieve. So kind of our, our the, the way we work is helping them to get retail ready. So doing the things that they need to do in order to, to be really credible retail brands. And for some brands that will happen quite quickly, you know, maybe they're a bit more advanced or, or they're, they're working in a slightly different setup. And for some of the brands that that's going to take a little bit longer. Um, they've got some more work to do on their product, for example, uh, that's going to take a few months. Great. And so that's, that's the Sainsbury's venture. Tell us about the Good Food Fund, because that's, was that the first? Am I right in thinking that was the first one that you did? Yes. So we've been working on Good Food Fund, what's now become the Good Food Programme for, for about four and a half years. So it's backed by Impact on Urban Health, which is part of Guys and St. Thomas's Foundation. So they're a huge health foundation, one of the world's oldest, biggest, and I would say most progressive health foundations and they invest in cities to make them healthier places to live they focus on big kind of social issues with mental health air pollution but also kind of family health child health they published a report about five years ago that looked at specifically at childhood obesity and why was this happening and what could we do to change the food environment in order to to kind of stop the the flood of junk food that that's kind of coming into coming into the the industry challenger brands and healthier challenger brands were seen as an opportunity space they they had the ability to come into categories and disrupt to change kind of the status quo but in doing so kind of influence big food to 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 take responsibility and, and do something better we, we ran a pilot program uh two years ago that supported 13 businesses in in total with an accelerator but also a small equity fund so just under two million was really positive, kind of proved that you can make healthier brands that consumers love, that retailers love and investors love, and that specifically low-income families, they stop buying their less healthy products and they switch to, to buying these healthy, healthier brands. So now we've got rolled on to the second program. We've got three brands so far, space for kind of seven more that we're kind of always bringing in on a, on a rolling basis. But our ambitions for the program have, have changed or, or got a lot bigger. And we're now looking at how we can engage with the wider industry to kind of solve some of their pro- problems by, by working with these challenger brands and kind of more collaboration. So tell us a little bit about the because there's specific criteria, isn't there? For, for so if there's brands listening that think this sounds interesting, I've got a healthy product that could, could help um, change the health of the country. What criteria is needed to access this? Yes. Um, so we like to look for brands that are healthier alternatives. So if I give an example of, of one of the, the brands from our first program, Jim Jams is a chocolate spread, tastes as good as Nutella, but it's got 83% less sugar. Um, it's on shelf at the same price as Nutella. So it's almost it's the perfect 
swap. Um, there's no compromise yeah. for consumers. I, I'm, you know, I'm always careful to try and use the word healthier rather than healthy. We're not saying that these yeah. products are a replacement for, for fruit and vegetables, but I think reformulation within the industry has got a really key place. Um, is how do you nudge consumers to to always make to kind of make their shopping baskets healthier and healthier yeah, without a better really choice. Yeah. yeah, I'm yeah. sat here thinking, oh, I definitely need to buy that for those moments where I feel the need to go in the cupboard and eat some Nutella out of the jar because there's no <laughs> other chocolate in the house. If I know this slightly, I mean, just revealing my my uh, eating habits here, but you know, um, but it is, but it's, it's so important, isn't it? Having those like a healthier choice that's still, and I think you're right, Louis, like it doesn't have to be like holier than thou, healthy, healthy. Cause the reality is, is that kids do like to have something chocolatey on their pancakes and like mm. that's life, isn't it? And we, we want to feel like we're giving our children and ourselves a bit of a treat every now and again. And it is, it's about those small changes, isn't it? It's the, and even the government talk about the, the swaps and stuff like that. But it's, you know, to be able to make changes to products that don't compromise on the taste, but are, are you know, like you say, healthier rather than healthy is really important. I was just going to say, Jim Jams is a great, great example because they, they've been really successful, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost the, the kind of gold standard of what we want to achieve. You know, yeah. mass distribution across all of the big retailers, you know, really challenging that that sweet spreads category, which, as you say, is, is such a hotspot for for families with with young children. Mums with chocolate addictions. Mums with mums with <laughs> tablespoons after a long day at work. <laughs> you kind of talk about choice. I think I I read something the other day. Now we eat five times per each person eats f- about five times more or five times the amount of crisps each year than we ate in 1970. Uh, it's about two times the amount of breakfast cereal, which breakfast cereal has obviously got in- incredibly sugary. And it's not this, you know, as a nation, we haven't had this big collapse of willpower. It's not that we just suddenly reach for these. It's that our food industry has changed. And you yeah. think about choice when you walk into a supermarket, like you feel like you're in control, but actually you're being no. nudged around. Yeah. And you're being influenced by what's mm-hmm. really like a really sophisticated machine. And it's, you know, as consumers, we're stuck in that cycle of just, you know, that's the easiest thing. It's heavily promoted. We buy that. Yeah. It tastes amazing. We eat it again. So it's more promoted. You know, economies of scale, it gets cheaper and it keeps going. So as consumers, we're stuck in that. But as the industry is also also stuck in that, you know, you talk yeah. to, to to any, I'm sure the people you talk to, MPD teams, you know, they don't want to be selling this stuff, but it's how they make, you know, it's as a business, how, how you make make money and that's why i think kind of government regulation and policy is so important because mm. the big company that steps forward and says well we're not going to do that anymore because it's wrong for our consumers you know they're going to lose market share and they're not yeah. going to be in business for a long time yeah so there's got to be yeah. an incentive for manufacturers to to make a change yeah Absolutely. it's a huge ship to turn isn't it it's like do you know a lot like something that really shocked me the other day was I have a major chocolate addiction. It's my biggest issue in life. <laughs> it's my <laughs> vice. I just love like Cadbury's chocolate, basically. And when, so I, whenever I go into a petrol station or anywhere that has like a lot of chocolate everywhere, I have to make a conscious decision not to buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, I have to have a word with myself before I walk in type thing. 
So bought my, went into the M&S BP garage. I was traveling somewhere. Bought myself a sandwich and a drink. Went to the counter. And I, I was obviously buying something else. And the total came to £13.55, right? And the guy said, oh, uh, you, can, you can choose a chocolate bar. I was like, I don't want a chocolate bar, thank you. Yeah, but if you choose a chocolate bar, the price will go down. And he, gave, he like did the example for me. He's like, your, your price will go down to £11.60. And I was mm. like, what? You're paying me to eat a chocolate bar that I really don't want to eat, but I really do want to eat. So I, so guess what I did? I bought the bloody chocolate bar. Yeah. I didn't eat it. I did eat it the next day because obviously my willpower isn't that good. But I just thought this is insane. And that's the problem, isn't it? It's these yeah. stupid meal deals that force you to buy really unhealthy <laughs> snacks. But it's, it is, they are sort of stupid meal deals, but they're, they're there for a reason. You know, I'm coming at this, you know, I, my last job, like proper job, was category and um, category in marketing. And it was cream cakes. And it was part of the reason I left was because I had a real moral issue with sitting there in front of the retailer saying, you've got to put it on end and promote it constantly. But it's that it's the it's exactly what you say, Louis. It's the link between commerciality, you know, and that business relied on the the pound deals on cream, cream cakes, you know, and we'd, you know, do a forecast if we took them out, like the business was you know, in trouble. So it's, and it's like meal deals, you know, businesses have to do meal deals to try and get people into their stores. And it's, it, it's, it's, it's a real it's, problem, isn't it? It is, it is, because it's, it's, it's like feeding the government, you know, there needs to be incentives, because I think it does. Because it's feeding the, the sugar addiction, isn't it? We're yeah. feeding our sugar addiction. But it's also like at the moment, and everything that I've heard, and I was sort of, out of the operational side of things when HFSS all came in and stuff, that's more, it's more like, it's, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's like punishing businesses rather than giving incentives to businesses to do the right thing, if you know what I mean. But there needs to be like some sort of, I don't know, if we had all the answers. <laughs> I think. Um, what are the answers, Louis? No, I, yeah. think, I think HFSS was at its core, like really progressive policy and had it been executed properly you know it's only it's been like a half half cut job what it should have done is is incentivize its manufacturers to to take responsibility and do the right thing i think you saw the soft drinks industry levy so the sugar tax on on soft drinks did exactly that like overnight the category changed because nobody wanted to spend more money you know they, they could always reformulate their products but they had no reason to um, but putting this kind of ceiling in, it was like, well, if mm. you don't change, then it's just going to cost you more money. Mm. Was was the right thing to do, and, and you just saw this mass kind of these swathes of of reformulation. And even now, uh, I've seen PepsiCo. You know, they've reformulated their their core skew to take out fifty. I think it's fifty seven percent of sugar, and they haven't just made a big big deal out of it. So I think it's that is how things should have been done. But, but I think kind of government policy hasn't been as robust as it could have mm. been. And, and I think, and it's really difficult because no government wants to start telling people what to eat. You know, I'm really mm. kind of empathetic to to the whole situation, but kind of somebody has to stand there and, and take some responsibility for this stuff. And I think, mm. you know, part of what a program does is help the brands to kind of design from day one for scale. Yeah. And, and I think... 
that's it, isn't it? Because as a consumer, I like to have choice. Like I still want to be able to buy a whisper in all honesty, but I want that to be my choice. And I don't want to be like convinced that I need to do it because it's going to cost me two pounds less overall. But I think what's really important is having new choices that are coming in that are a better, healthier choice like Jim Jams. And it's, that's, that's the really important part, I think. But it and needs encouraging to be a scale, not just niche. Yes. Like really dope. Yes. And you can only find it in a health food store kind of thing. Yeah. And giving it, giving them the ability to be able to do that. So, yeah. and how, how do you, how do you work with those, those brands? You've talked about Jim Jams. Were they already fairly established when, when you started working with them? Yeah, they were. Yes, they, they were. But I think all brands have, you know, regardless of scale, have a similar set of the same problems. They're just bigger or smaller and perhaps slightly more expensive than others. But I think typically we work with brands and they go through something called the Mission Map, which is kind of our accelerator program, really intense, 16 weeks. And it focuses on the core thing of, of what's the consumer need that this product is trying to fulfill. We go through a period of consumer research to understand that, either if it's a new product to like figure out what that is, or if it's an existing product to like really check that that's right. Um, and that might result in kind of a product brief or a brand brief, brief to, to redesign. And then it's about fulfilling that profitably. So that's where this really, you know, the bit about scale comes in. So understanding the manufacturing and the supply chain and that value chain all the way through the re to the retailers, ensuring that they're supported with, with marketing and, and investment. But then the rest of the program is about executing on that plan. So it's really that, that first piece about the consumer need that ensures that there's a white space opportunity and this brand can kind of fill that white space and make money from it. So I think it's, it's really important to, you know, and, and brands can't do that from day one, but we know that if they hit certain milestones, they can get there really quickly. So we like to think that the brands can go from, you know, a, a standing start to kind of mass retail after going through that process more quickly and with less risk than, than brands that don't. Mm -hmm. And is that, well, for both of those programs, I'm assuming the Thrive cohort is closed now. Yes. And that's, that's, a, that's done. Yes. But for the Good Food Fund, that is still open. It is. Yeah. Um, so we've got seven, seven more brands to, to recruit. Um, and yeah, we're always happy to, to speak to anybody. We can get it. And do they... File. Is that is that less of us kind of this is when the program's starting? Do you take each one on its uh, uh, on its own at a yeah. certain time? So it doesn't you can take people on at any time. Yeah. So yeah. that's quite different to other accelerators where you all sort of join at the same time and then run with each other, sort of thing. Yeah. So so all of that that kind of brand support that mission map I talked about is delivered one to one. Yeah. Okay. So one of our big learnings from grocery accelerator is that. I think there's a lot of value in group learning, but if you just yeah. solely do group learning, you kind of don't cater for the brands who are underperforming and you don't yeah. cater for kind of those star performers. You just get the yeah. middle ground. Mm -hmm. um, so by doing everything one-to-one, -one, it means you can, you can focus specifically on the needs of that mm. business, but it also mm -hmm. allows us to kind of have a wider breadth of brands and we can work with, you know, multiple categories at any one time yeah. because it's just about their their business, their problems, the knowledge of that founder. Yeah. 
That's really interesting. I, I'm not aware of anyone else that does 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 it like that. And that, for the brand, that's amazing, isn't it? Because it's really one on one on one. Like you've got your your full attention. And just uh, I probably should have asked this question at the beginning because but and I because I already have a little bit of insight into this. But tell us about the the team that you work with and how how you can support these businesses. Yeah. So um, we like to say that we're a team of entrepreneurs and we work for the entrepreneurs. So Mission Ventures was was founded by three guys who got kind of 90 years of industry experience and more than 50 million pounds of exits from from brands that they founded and scaled. So John Stapleton, who was the co-founder of New Common Garden Soup and then Little Dish, Paddy Willis, who was the founder of Plum Baby, which was like the first ambient baby food brand before Ella's. Um, and then Nigel Parrott, who he's been at Golden Wonder and, and Hayne Daniels, but then he was the founder of Ape Snacks, uh, a coconut snacking business three or four years ago, which they built and sold quite quickly. And then he joined Mission Ventures. Um, so those three guys, and it, it's their knowledge about passing on their experience and help founders to do things differently but kind of taking that what we like to say like big brand energy and applying it to to these challenger brands and, and helping them to to go further faster and then we've, we've got a super talented team who who support on all of the brand delivery who frankie and, and andrea who lead on that and their brand managers you know great industry experience across the likes of premiere and shs so working on things like bottle green um, and they apply a lot of their knowledge on the day-to-day with those founders. And you, of course. Yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. So it's, 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 it's really great. And then, and you also mentioned that you also work with um, Warbsons. So what's the relationship with, with them and what have, you, what have you done with them? Yeah, so they're a 110, I'll get that wrong, 110-year-old company. They do about 750 million revenue this year um a world class at what they do but bread is in is in long-term structural decline so it's very much thinking about as a family brand what's next you know where could they leverage their their expertise their scale or or their brand to to keep growing you know where does that next hundred years of growth come from so about two years ago we set up a, a company with them called batch ventures um and that invests in kind of early stage bakery related businesses um so we've made three investments so far one into a, a bagged snack company one into a non-hfss cookie company and then one into kind of a biscuit manufacturer um who, who's got a brand but but also a manufacturing facility amazing and again is it that they invest in people i'm, I'm actually thinking out loud for somebody i know um they invest in people um you know where they've they've they're at the point of scaling, like where they need to scale, or or is it even before that? I think quality quality products, really capable people, and mm-hmm. like a clear market differentiator is, is yeah. what we care about in in that program. Um, Warburton's pride themselves on on the quality of their product, um, and they're a family brand, so those kind of core values of of trust and authenticity, you know, they ring through their brand and mm-hmm. and all of the investments that that we make have that too so skate you know not too big but also not too small kind of yeah. it's got to got to prove that that somebody needs and wants this product and there's got to be mm-hmm. kind of a clear growth journey as to how this could be a really big business 
or or it could you know perhaps one day join the Warburton's portfolio as a business. And again, it's a really clever thing that Warburton's have done, hasn't it? Because it's sort of identifying that they've got these core competencies that are in decline. And how do we tackle that problem? Let's see what challenger brands are doing and help them do it for the longevity of the business. It's just really clever, isn't it? It, it really ties in. Me and Lucy did a team day yesterday and it was all about collaboration. And this is what we're talking about, isn't it? It's it You do... You, make collaboration happen on a, on a grand scale. Yes. And I think it's, um, you know, I think Lucy's kind of pointed it out. The, you know, the number one thing we do at Mission Ventures is, is avoid distractions for our, mm. our big clients. And it's, it's helping them to achieve whatever or solve whatever problem they're facing or achieve whatever strategic aim they've got, but in a distraction-free way. Um, mm-hmm. And because of that, because we can kind of take our knowledge um, we de-risk that process with, you know, the investment, but also the brand support. So we like to think that we could do a better job um, mm-hmm. than, than maybe if they they did it themselves. Yeah. And also as a team of entrepreneurs, we know this because we live in the entrepreneur world as well. We're really good at distraction. We're really good at like multitasking and taking on those distractions and making them into something different. Whereas actually the big, big businesses like you say, it's just a distraction and they need to be like really focusing on the core of their business. But you're taking, you you, you know, they're, they're hiring entrepreneurs to do that yeah. entrepreneurial, bit, entrepreneurial bit for their business. Because it, it takes those size businesses too long to do the things that are required. And it's not always, you know, it's just not always possible for, you know, for all the reasons that we talk about on the podcast, there are all the challenges that you have in like bigger businesses. And, you know, it just takes a, a long time. So, Louis, what's next for Mission Ventures? Have you got any other things coming up? What's in the that you can tell us about? What what's what's exciting you? Lots of things excite me, but um, I think what's next for Mission Ventures more of the same. So it's not you know we've got these three strategic pillars and they're big problems not going away. If anything, kind of they're getting worse. So with with health, it's all about kind of continuing our work with the Good Food Program. Um, we've got seven more brands to recruit, but we're also just launching a, a working group, which is a collaboration of some really big, um, and this is exciting to me, big players within the industry, kind of collaborating around specific challenges to see how we can pull people together about kind of solving some of these issues um, and where possible kind of nudging people in the right direction on, on some policy as well. That's great on the Good Food Program, but we also think a bit broader on health as well. And Lucy knows about this, but we've just raised a bit of money to launch our first brand internally, Mm -hmm. which will kind of continue building over the rest of this year, which looks at another health issue within a different category, slightly younger people. Um, But that'll be the first time we've kind of launched a brand as Mission Ventures, and we'll be hiring somebody to, to run that business, which is Great. That's exciting. So, with it, not not Mission Ventures as the brand, but you are you will be you will own that brand. Yes. Yeah. 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 Exciting. Mm. So that's great on health, and and I mean that's both of those things are, are long long term. So I think it's we'll put all of our focus and energy on onto doing a brilliant job with with our diversity pillar. You know, thrive. There's still work to be done, but we were really lucky to work with a brilliant organisation called Founder Vine. Um, and they're a training agency who, who specialize in supporting the growth of, of black entrepreneurs. 
um, and we're working with them to understand kind of where the next big opportunity for us is. And then in sustainability, um, that's kind of our newest focus. Um, but we're we're working on some really interesting ideas for for an incubator that that we hope to get funded that will hopefully um, launch kind of new businesses into market that that are solving some some issues that that the industry faces. Mm, I was that that was going to be one of my questions actually. Is there because that it just seems like an obvious one, so that's really interesting because there's loads of very cool things happening, isn't there, in that space? Loads of very cool things happening, but I think one of the big issues sustainability uh, faces is that it feels quite far away from lots of consumers, especially in the yes. drink industry. Lots of money being poured in, but you know, it, it comes back to what's the consumer need for these products. Yeah, because like that's as a nut that hasn't been cracked yet. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's a lot there to kind of make sustainability. A sexy in a way and actually make yeah. consumers really engage with it um, yeah just understand it a bit more yeah yeah it's really exactly. difficult isn't it because we can't wait <laughs> until consumers are ready and can see like the end of the world happening we've got to do something now <laughs> and i was having a and I, I was having a discussion with somebody um about this uh, recently and you know again it's there's going to need to be a government drive as well isn't there for for that to happen um but but also, in uh, you know, I guess it's the consumer can see the need for like lower sugar versions of things. They, you know, they understand the obesity crisis. We need to sort of educate in the same way about sustainability, don't we? Yes, yeah, and and I think that's an industry problem to to solve. I think uh, you mm. know everybody's willing to take responsibility for it, but actually, you know, it's it's thinking about what's the best way of solving that problem. Yeah. And well, and also how to communicate it to the consumer in a way that they understand, because we haven't even got that far. No. Lots, you know, there's lots of different ways of doing it, but great. So lot, lots going on. So Louis, how do people get in touch with you if they want to hear any more about this or they think they've got a product that could be suitable for the Good Food Fund, et cetera, et cetera? Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I normally, normally reply, but I'll definitely accept their connection request. <laughs> or, or my email louis at missionventures.co.uk brilliant. brilliant well thank you so much for sharing everything it's 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 so it's so interesting and there's i mean I, i've worked with you and i've worked with some of the businesses that you work with but it's i still have learned a lot about the different programs because there's 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 lots of different avenues and lots of things to explore so I think, and it will be interesting because I'm sure a lot of our listeners who work in bigger companies may feel quite inspired by some of the things that you're talking about as well and, and want to get in touch and talk about how they can help collaborate and work out ways to make these changes happen as well. Yeah, I found it really, really interesting. I didn't really know. I, I knew who you were and, I, you know, we've interacted on LinkedIn, but I didn't really understand the nitty gritty of it. And I just think what you're doing in terms of that, I love how you flipped it all on the, on its head and, you know, it's almost tying up the need with the people that can make those things happen. Yeah, it's just make amazing. the big changes. And it's not yeah. really, I know you're, I know you're very active on, on LinkedIn, but it's, I think some of these things, it's, it's hard to, that's why I wanted to get you on because I think it takes a bit of time to explain it. And because the things that are happening are actually quite unique, like Sainsbury's getting involved with challenger brands, you know, it's unheard of. Like these things are unheard of. 
So I think it's really good to talk about them and actually show the other big businesses that look, look at these examples of Warbsons and Sainsbury's. Let's, let's all get on the bandwagon. Uh, and I, I think it's a really important thing to point out. I don't, you know, for, for really big businesses, you know, a million pounds is, is not a lot of money. Um, but, but if you're really smart and, and do something different, I think, you know, these challenges are so big that we can't just keep doing the thing we've always done. You have yeah. to do something new. Uh, and I think if you put your money to work in a really smart way, then it can have massive results, probably far greater results than than if you were to do the thing you've yeah. always done. Absolutely. And I was I was thinking, Louis, when I was a, when I was a product developer at Sainsbury's, we'd I can't even remember what it was called now, but it was like some like supplier thing where we would go for a day and like a panel of product developers, buyers from all different categories would go and sit in a hotel for the day and challenger brands wasn't the term then, but you know what I mean? Smaller suppliers would come and present their products to us. And then we'd take it back to the category. And I'm just thinking like all that time for those product developers and buyers out of the office, talking to those suppliers who don't actually know what a retailer of that size needs. Mm. When you think about it like that, and you think about a million pound investment where they're nurtured by a, a team like you, it's, it's a no brainer, isn't it really? Yeah. Yep. Good. That's, so, it. that's our business. That's our business plan on the back of a postcard. Brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> Summed it up. Well, let's hope some people listening get in touch with you on LinkedIn. I'm sure they will. Yeah. Thank you very much, Louis. And we will Thanks see you much. soon. Thank, Thank you. you Thank you. Thanks, everybody. And we'll see you next time. See you next time. Thank you for joining us today. And we hope that this has been useful to you. As ever, we would love it if you could rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. It really does help us reach and support more foodies out there. We'd also love it if you'd come and join us in the Facebook group, the O for Food Sake community. And if you want to get in touch with us personally, Lucy is available for consultancy advice and training and can be found on LinkedIn as Lucy Wager. And if you want to reach out to Amy for any one-to-one coaching, group facilitation or training, then contact her on LinkedIn at Amy Wilkinson Coach. Thanks for listening and see you next time. See you next time. This podcast is sponsored by Damo Ingredients, who provide best-in-class functional ingredients such as starches, proteins, fibres and gums, to name but a few, into food manufacturers across the UK and Ireland. I've worked with Dama on various projects for my own brand and with my clients. And what I love about working with them is their in-depth technical knowledge and their ability to apply that to the specific products that you're actually working on. So they become an extension to your own development team, supporting them with their knowledge from concept through to launch. To find out more, visit www.dama.com.